0: From 11FS, I'm Simon Taylor, and this is Fintech Insider News. Coming up on today's show, we look back at a year in fintech, the highs, the lows, and the changes. We look ahead and give our thoughts to 2018. All this and more on today's extra special Christmas after dark episode of Fintech Insider News. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Fintech Insider After Dark 3, the Christmas special. For those of you listening at home and around the world, this is our third show in front of a live audiences at our offices in WeWork London. Uh, Crowd, how are we? My name is Simon Taylor, and I'm joined by my co-hosts and 11 FS colleagues, David Breer, Jason Bates, and Chris Skinner. Say hi, guys.
1: Hello. Hey,
0: how's life, guys? So, um, we're doing a 2017 recap show special,
1: uh, given it's the end of the year. So, how's 2017 been for you, David? like I'm struggling to open this spiced li- rum thing. Yeah, spiced rum co- like like bad timing really, but I am kind of freaking out that the audience is so close. Like it feels like <laughs> feels like I can touch them. Like uh, and you particularly no, don't do like that. No, no, not as like Touch the audience again. Like, did we not get the insurance covered? To... Like,
2: touching people is like a 2017 meme. It's yeah. not something we want to get it's into. That, no. We'll, no. we'll
1: come to that later on the Emoji wall. Yeah, like, amazing, amazing year. Like, it has been a ridiculous year, I think, in terms of everything that's happened, both in the industry and actually for us at 11FS as well, which is awesome. So I think we've been super, super busy. We we had a big sort of town hall get together earlier on for all of the team to kind of go through exactly what it is that we've done and it was it was awesome. So I'm uh, super pumped with what we've done. I think the next year is going to be even better though so uh, yeah thanks everybody for coming.
2: Jason. Well we were talking about a year ago we were doing this actually just in a little little room in level 39 and suddenly we've got all of you friends here. Woo! So yeah amazing year we've gone from what seven people to 50 60 people now new offices scaling up lots of fun stuff.
0: Chris have you had a good year?
2: I've had a fantastic
3: year and um i it's just been a little bit difficult because I've been flying around too much. So it's nice to actually be here with you guys live for a change rather than being overseas. International but, um, man
0: of mystery life is a hard life indeed, but that's far too much about us. As you can see from the Christmas decorations, the photo booth and the fantastic festive fancy dress, this is a Christmas special indeed. And unlike previous After Darks where we've been recapping stories from the last week, this time we'll be reviewing the top stories across the whole of 2017. We'll be hearing from some very special guests and indeed all will be revealed very soon. So the show's gonna work this way. We'll be taking a lead story on per month and don't worry, there'll be a break in the middle this time for you guys to get extra drinks, refills, everything you need. And we're also kicking off a charity campaign. So use the ad break to give very generously people, tis the season. So the show's gonna run about 90 minutes with a 10 minute drink break. So. You're in for a long haul, you're not going home early. Like, you're stuck here for a little while. Um, we will be around at the end to chat to all of you, so please don't sneak off. And, uh, well, we've got just about everything, but we need some guests. So joining us to go through the madness that is this year, we have our favorite Business Insider reporter, the one and only Sarah Kachansky. Will you please come to the stage? <laughs> Joining Sarah, all-round digital guru and just a great human being, it is Leda Glypsis. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Fintech Insider. It's time to start the show. All right, so leading us out, we've got to start like every year does in January. Um, way back in January 2017, it was the start of a new year. It was wet. It was cold, and Mark Carney warned us that the fintech boom could go bust if left unchecked. Was Mark Carney wrong? Has fintech gone bust? Mm, No, not so much. I I think fintech's still a thing, just saying, Mark. US regulators cited fintech as a risk to the existing banking systems, but the main story we want to talk about is actually an insure-tech show.
4: Spot, spot. Who, who works in insurance? Hands up. There's at least
0: one person
2: in the audience that's
0: happy about that. <laughs> so the, the story here, David, was a story where Tech startup Lemonade touted an ability to pay a claim in a record-breaking three seconds how do we feel about that
1: like that is insane right like a strong start to the year from lemonade and i think they they sort of continued all the way through the year doing pretty impressive things i, I think but we've probably got somebody in the audience a little bit more qualified to talk about this one than me so maybe if we uh, we pass the mic over to uh, to nigel and get him to give us a bit of an overview nigel walsh
5: fantastic thank you very much that's right so hands up who has heard of lemonade Not the drink. (laughs) This is not Sprite or 7-Up, and other lemonades do exist. Who has had a claim, an insurance claim? Hands up, come on. Hands down, if that was fixed within three seconds. Okay, there we are. There's our answer to the question. So, so... Jamie, I don't believe it for a second. So Lemonade lemonade have dominated the press this year from an insure tech, uh, perspective. They are absolutely fantastic. They really are. have got some really cool things going on, not just from a brand and marketing perspective, but they're actually making stuff happen. So no paperwork, no dodgy forms, all done online. They're using AI and all the other cool technology that you'd expect them to do. Three seconds is insane, right? So... There's lots of questions whether that can be sustainable or whether there's fraud in there or not. But if you look at what they're up to, there's some cool things going on. Not just that. They've had a big investment from one of the big tier one carriers like Allianz. They've opened up their API. Whatever you're doing in banking, we can do better in insurance. Can I say that? (laughs) Ooh. Gauntlet. When the, I'll finish here. When N- the industry. Nigel, what's, your, what's your email for everybody? You would like to... <laughs> yeah. Nigel, Nigel will be online later. I- I'll finish on this. When the industry gives you lemons, you make. Oh. oh.
0: If somebody was going to make a terrible dad joke, it had to be Nigel. Thank you for be- making the Christmas dad jokes. It, it- is the season indeed. I, I think he makes some good points. Any reflections from the panel?
1: I think like this year, like I say, insuretechs just got hotter and hotter and hotter, and I think that will continue next year. Really, the the level of investment that we've seen coming in, you know, the changes, the the conversations that we're having, not only with startups but big insurers in this space, it just feels like it's going to get bigger and bigger. So,
4: and and the popularity. So I have we have a a New York office as well, and they are forever slacking us and saying, "Have you guys heard of this lemonade thing? Like we can't believe it's so good. Like is there a, is there a flaw?" And, you know, from my perspective as an analyst, we've, we've been looking. We'd, I would love to see their model. If anybody has any numbers, please send them to me. Um, but in terms of, you know, their customer service, in terms of their pricing, in terms of the products they're providing, they're incredibly popular, and they're going down incredibly well and literally selling like hotcakes. So
6: I can't wait. Oh lemonade. Or lemonade. So, <laughs> so Nigel and I were, were talking about just how old we are. And, and <laughs> most of that time, at least I have spent arguing with people who will say, well, that would be amazing if it worked, but it doesn't. It's not real. The technology can't do this in a live environment. It can't scale. The commercials won't work. And, and Lemonade, other than having an awesome name, is one of those examples that have been hitting, actually, in the last few, I'd say, 18 months that kill that conversation, just dead in its tracks. And, and it's liberating, but it's also time to gear change. FinTech's most definitely not dead, but that... It's time to now take that on.
0: It's time to move it forward, and speaking of moving on, following every January comes a February. And in February, um, US President Donald Trump caused a huge shockwave when he proposed a series of changes to US banking regulations known as Dodd-Frank. Monza reached its Series C funding round, and the main story uh, for discussion in that month of February was the Cooperative Bank being put up for sale. Jason, what what happened there? Who doesn't love the cooperative bank? I mean, uh, so the Bank of England... The
7: the cooperative
2: group? The Bank of England triggered the decision uh, basically based on losses to prevent the bank uh, finances from deteriorating further. They were part of a rescue plan to address capital shortfall of $1.9 but you read down the story, they've had a really tough few years. It all seems to stem back to some interesting decisions, 17th of November 2013, there was this guy called Reverend Paul Flowers, and apparently he got caught by the Mail on Sunday buying crack cocaine and methamphetamine as the chairman of the co-op bank. So, yeah, they had 600 million pounds of problems there, that's gone on, it's gone on, but the thing that... Sorry,
1: 600 million pounds of...
2: It, that's, a, that's a big Christmas. That is. But the thing that really grabs me was with all of these troubles, with losses, with Bank of England settle, uh, sort of uh, stepping in, they still only have lost 2% of their customer base recently. So they've got a million, million, 200,000-something customers, and they lost apparently 25,000 customers like re- reasonably recently. But still, that's over a, a million phenomenally loyal customers because of this ethical stance because who else do you go to if you if you want like that ethical bank
1: brand name? I don't know what you guys think. But but I, I guess isn't that the place that fintech banks are kind of take, taking up to a certain degree. So actually, you know, from co-op's perspective is the is the customer base not at threat by the likes of Starling and Monzo and Revolut and the guys kind of who are coming about and taking a different stance in terms of the market.
6: I'm just gonna go with the vast majority of people would rather not deal with a bank at all and it's boredom that keeps them where they are. And the ones that do care are a much smaller demographic and now they have options. So if you're driven by ethical investing, ethical banking, you have actually alternatives to the nicest guys of yesteryear who would be the co-op. But, but I am always weary of the word loyalty when it comes to sticking with your bank because it's usually either boredom or disinterest and unless something goes wrong you just stay.
4: yeah i think the demographic point is very pertinent when talking about the cooperative bank i mean if their average demographic is exactly who you would expect it to be which is older who are not tech savvy certainly don't know about the seven day switching rule and all that kind of thing um and have been with the co-op for probably 20 30 years so you know what effort are they going to make the switch
2: so does anyone bank with a co-op here
0: no.
4: <laughs> Point proven. <laughs>
0: for, for people on the podcast, zero hands went up.
4: <laughs> One hand went up for the Co-op's digital brand, but I don't know how many people know about Smile Bank. Anybody else heard of? Ooh. One. I worked on it back in 2002. Okay. <laughs> Two. Okay. Two people. <laughs> three, three people. Maybe three have heard out of, of Smile Bank. So.
3: <laughs> I did do some work with the head of strategy for Cooperative bank, and his name was Robin Banks. No. Serious. Honestly. <laughs> Really,
1: but I I think that may be the
3: reason why they're not here anymore.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's it's an interesting point, though. If if like the seven-day switching process doesn't get you, and like spending hundred million pounds on meth doesn't get you to switch, then like, what is the thing that is actually going to get these people to actually switch in terms of the process? So I guess we'll find out next year, guys. (laughs) Like you guys in the front row, like we'll see we'll see what happens next year. We will
0: see what happens next year. Let's move on to March. Uh, In March, five thousand people joined Atom Bank in a single day. Square launched in the UK. Uh, Tandem lost their license after a funding blow, and of course, uh, Revolut, Monzo, Starling, Loot, Curve and Pocket all were hit by outages. Uh, Jason, what happened here? Well, it's one of those... Were you, were you responsible I, for well, I, I, <laughs> I, I
2: blame this Jason it. entirely
0: for all I of wasn't that. I was
2: responsible for any of this. A lot of these new challengers, a lot of the new players, are built on the same infrastructure. So that has some real benefits that if you want to bring something to market quickly, you can because actually you can use the suppliers that everyone else is, is using at the same time. However, if one of those suppliers starts to have problems, not only does it take you down, but it takes basically the whole ecosystem down. And that's not just a card processor. It could be something like AWS. We've seen Amazon Web Services have some big problems in the US when suddenly Twitter and Facebook goes down. What happens when all the core banking systems are running on Amazon as well? It is this question of fintech is great and platformification is great, but platforms can go down and they they could
0: affect the entire country. So before we go to the I rest got all of the serious. panel, serious, do you see that? I, that was, I, that was, yeah. I know, right? Good. You go, before we go to the rest of the panel, was anybody in this room affected by an outage? By a show of hands. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's, that's about half of the room, maybe a little bit more. That, that's a big effect. That says that there's a room full of people who like fintech, which, yay. <laughs> but also the room full of people that are willing to put up with those outages. I wonder, would we be as willing to have that from an older brand?
2: Well, we never hear of them. They're happening all the time from some of the big brands. People yeah. do go down, actually, and you can't use ATMs, or you do get a warning from some of the, the bank apps.
4: I mean, even worse, that when those, those legacy banks tend to go down, it tends to be on the last Friday of the month.
3: I'm with the friendliest bank in the world. It keeps going down on me.
4: Oh. oh.
8: The point Someone being about legacy there. banks,
4: when they go down, it's like when they're, they're overloaded. When these incumbents <laughs> go down, it's because the third party supplier falls over. So it actually, you know, to some extent you're looking on one side, oh, well, they're blaming their suppliers. On the other hand, it genuinely isn't their fault, whereas when a big name goes down because everybody's checking their paycheck because it was a five-weekend month,
6: surely that's more problematic. But the question of whose fault it is is a question that we're only raising for, for the challenges that we have like, warm and fuzzy feelings towards. Because at the end of the day, your bank goes down. You may not notice because it'll bring it back up again, but I, I know people who are users of these names, and they didn't notice. Because it only you only notice if it impacts you in the minute you need to use it, and everything was up and running fairly quickly, so do the traditional banks go down? Yes, Um, because it's the same infrastructure, as as Jason said. For me, the interesting question is, what happens now? If we have all the cool stuff piggybacking on crumbling infrastructure, we will, before long, as the resident banker in the room, get to the question of, well, what about the rest of it, right? It's unglamorous, it's boring, but everything lives on top of it, and that's where the failures happen.
0: Well, um, I guess if that's been the biggest issue they've had and they've been growing customers the entire time, They're doing quite well for themselves. And as they flip away from relying on card processors to launching current accounts, as we've seen Starling and Atom and now Monzo do and Revolut do, um, we'll really see, I think, maybe a change in the consistency of that. And will newer technology be better than mainframes or will mainframes win out? I've got to move us to April. Monzo got its full banking license and smashed a funding round. Um, And Alipay and WeChat combined reach reached $2.9 trillion in online pay. Payments—that's a big number. Uh, but the story that got most attention on our podcast was, of course, Will I Am joined Atom. Div.
2: <laughs> so hold on—we we put aside 2.9 trillion with Alipay and WeChat for a story about Will I Am joining Atom. Yeah. That's FinTech Insider.
0: That's FinTech Insider. Like you can you can go to other outlets for the story about numbers. Where about celebrities right here.
1: Trillions, wow! wow. Like, that, Who needs it, trillions. Is that like I I, I put it out on Twitter recently? But like my single objective for twenty eighteen is to get Will I Am onto FinTech Insider type thing. Just to talk through this one, like, and I I guarantee you I will make that happen. I just think it would be such a fascinating conversation. Like this guy is you know he is an entrepreneur. He has done like amazing amounts of things. In investing he's raised recently 150 million dollars in an AI startup like he has done quite amazing things as well as quite catchy songs I'll I'll be honest with you so um, so, and I think that's the thing I, I don't quite know what he has done for Atom yet but the fact that he is a, uh, you know, a consultant and board advisor to those guys, I just want to be in that room, don't you? Like, I want to see... His... He's getting the party started in the boardroom. Can
4: we get a mic in there, that, you know, yeah, just, like, just to broadcast that as a podcast. Exactly,
1: that's just all I want in life, quite well, frankly. The funny
3: so, uh, is there's, there's an interview with Will I Am just came out a couple of days ago, talking about why he's joined uh, Atom Bank. And he's he's telling a story and at one point says, are you sure you want me to be part of the advisory board? I don't know anything about money because I came out of poverty. And then goes on to explain that his idea of saving money was when he was 17, 18, got his first record deal keeping the checks in the glove box of his car because he thought that was saving the money and didn't realize you have to cash them because if you cash them, you spend it. That was his mentality.
0: It's time to move it forward because it's time for me. Um, And in me, there was a ransomware cyber attack that hit 99 countries around the world, including systems such as airlines, the national health system in the UK, and it threw chaos um, to major operations like air traffic control. Meanwhile, in China, Ping An launched a dedicated billion dollar fund for just fintech innovation and investment. But what we want to focus on this month was open banking. BBVA was a business that launched their open banking in May. And Alexa Fernandez from BBVA is here to talk about that uh, just a little bit. So open banking program making eight APIs available um, and working with developers to and businesses to prepare that open API service. Um, Alexa, do you want to tell us a little bit more about about what that is so the reality is is that banking more and more is becoming about data and we think that data belongs ultimately to the customer and the way for them to share it is through open and simple API's so one of the things we've built is our API market in order to give third
4: parties the access to the data so that they could create innovative things on top of that for the customer, it's a win-win situation. They get better products, they get more tailored products. For us at BBVA, we get access to the FinTech companies, we get knowledge, we get
0: learning. We have three streams that we're working on. One is aggregated data, retail, and business. It's live in Spain. Uh, we're testing in the U.S., and so far really happy with the results. Thank you very much, Alexa. So um, May was a great month for a lot of people involved, but I think June was an interesting month as well. In June, uh, Zelle, uh, the peer-to-peer payment app, launched in the U.S., Klarna got its full banking license, and the FCA, of course, in the United Kingdom, kicked off their second sandbox. They're kicking off a lot of sandboxes. They, they're just playing around in all the sand, God bless them. Um, and as we mentioned earlier, the proposed Dodd-Frank repeals caused a whole bunch of shockwaves, but the actual legislation was published for review. Um, and the Dodd-Frank legislation, well, we have our very own uh, American person here, Liz Lumley. to t- Well, yeah, we have a whole bunch of Americans in the room, to be fair. Um, But Liz, can you tell us what Dodd-Frank was and then what happened with the repeals?
9: Um, So there are three issues with Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank was um, put about by two um, uh, representatives who are no longer in Congress in the Senate of the U.S., which was basically a reaction to the 2008 uh, financial crisis. So it's on one hand, it is very heavy handed. Um, It's thousands and thousands of pages of documentation. In a perfect world, someone who really understands banking should really go through it and tweak it a bit and make it a bit more simplified. But with the current American administration, it's the end of the world as we know it and everything's fine. That's not gonna happen. Um, And also there is this thing right now that anything that happened during the Obama administration needs to be destroyed. And of course, a lot of the people in the administration don't have anything to replace it with, which is why it did not go through. Um, but the one core aspect of the Dodd-Frank Act, despite the fact that it is huge, it is bureaucratic, it's complicated, is it brought in this idea that, you know, doctors sign a hi- Hippocratic Oath to, do, to not hurt people. Um, and, you know, when there are bankers that sell people products for their retirement, for their savings, and then they're looking for, really, their motivation is compensation and not... Making society stronger. So I think that's an aspect of Dodd Frank, which really needs to be. It's something I p- feel passionately about. The reason why banks were not allowed to fail was because their failure would have a huge impact on the rest of society. So bankers are a cornerstone of civilization. They should realize that they should do no harm, and I don't think that's a bad thing in a in the, something like Dodd Frank. <laughs>
3: Just out just, just of interest, Liz, because it's very much a bipartisan thing, Republicans versus yeah. Democrats, around the Financial Choice Act. Do you think it will become law? Because it still has to go through the Senate.
4: It's, I mean, the second thing's gone through last week. Like, the revised version is now in the Senate. Yeah. no 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 the the economics and, and house bill which contains the re, re, uh, revoking of the volcker act and all that kind of stuff is now sitting in the senate it's got there it's it's gone through in a revised version um, I, I know it's
3: gone through the house but the senate has to approve it
4: still yeah but this is a this is the, the second version of it so what you were talking about earlier is like the the revision um of it so i mean yes it still has to get through the senate but this is a very different version that we're talking about now and it's it's Repealed some things that, but it's got the Democrats behind it now. So.
9: I, I was actually speaking to someone today from an American company who said that um, no one in America in the regulatory and in the in a, you know the government world has any interest in protecting consumers, like not currently. And this that, is that's, that's this a is...
0: big comment, but I'm I'm <laughs> I, I'm going to use that to um, to take a moment to take a break. Um, I'm going to take. But hopefully everybody gets an opportunity to refill their drinks. Hopefully everybody gets an opportunity to meet each other. We'll be back in just a couple of moments.
10: The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription.
0: fintech innovation is changing the way we bank
10: and the speed
0: we deploy new customer experiences is vital onboarding the right fintech partners can take months do you have time to lose introducing the innovation acceleration platform from temenos test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system with a yearly subscription you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time for more details visit marketplace.temenos.com So, ladies and gentlemen, before we get started with July, uh, there was a bet that was made uh, earlier this year. And many of you won't be aware of this bet, but the bet that was made was between one Mr. Uh, Mr. Ajit Tripathi, if he's in the room, and of course Richard Crook, uh, who I know is for a fact in the room. And the bet was that Ajit Tripathi said that Bitcoin would go above $10,000. Mr. Richard Crook on the opposite side of the room said Bitcoin would not go above $10,000. And the loser would have to wear a pink unicorn onesie at 11FS Fintech Insiders after dark.
4: Now you see why it was so important we found that plastic bag, guys.
0: So now you know why we were looking for a unicorn. So, Mr. Richard Crook, would you don the ceremonial pink unicorn onesie?
1: Uh, You put it on, put it on, put it on, put it on And and for those listening to this It is bloody hot in here already So like he's going to melt in that thing Richard's face is a picture of (laughs) discomfort
0: And embarrassment and unhappiness He is struggling to get into a unicorn onesie He's wrestling with the sleeves He is wearing it He has put the (laughs) urn He is now galloping around the room to raucous laughter from the audience and shaking Ajit's hand. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel like we have a fintech moment. Give it up for Richard Crook and Ajit Tripathi. Okay, gentlemen, thank you so much for this strange bet that you have bestowed upon this audience. Um, let's get back to the main show. So, uh, on with 2017, we only have Six months to go, so hopefully we can hold your attention. Um, back in July, if anybody remembers July, it was sunny. Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk clashed over AI and all things AI. UK card payments uh, overtook cash for the first time. Revolut raised £66 million in their Series B funding. Curve launched a time travel initiative allowing you to switch the card you paid with retroactively and raise £10 million. And Starling launched their Apple Pay integration but the main story of the month was the launch of monzo's current account and for, well, we have somebody from monzo in the room and the the launch of the monzo current account jason um i guess this was something that that you know a little about well
2: yeah i mean how incredibly proud am i of the team i uh I co-founded Monzo back in 2015, and uh, August 2016, they received the banking license and restrictions. April 2017, the license restrictions were lifted and moved on to testing. And then, yes, in July, after a long, long time, a lot of hard work by a lot of people, finally the Monzo current account came came good, came live. And we're very honored tonight to have uh, a good friend of mine and Monzo's head of design uh, the interaction designer who started a lot of the work at Monzo uh, Hugo Cornejo so Hugo say hey
8: hey <laughs> I I'm, I'm still shocked by the unicorn anyway um, but yeah so so this year we, we launched current accounts um, and the cool thing of this I was talking with with Simon is it's not just the current accounts it's the whole platform behind so we've built our own car processor so when you pay that actually connects with MasterCard. Um, and that will hopefully give us tons of, of stabi- stability, that the kind of things we were saying that happened in, in, in the months uh, previously, uh, that shouldn't happen. Um, and r- right now we have, I think, a hundred and, we were checking it now, 115,000, I think, um, people f- with with Monzo current accounts that are basically like the prepaids that I guess some of you might have. Put your hands up if you have a prepaid Monzo card. Uh, For the people
0: listening on the podcast, about half of the room's hands went up. That's less than last time. I think people are going
4: down.
8: The cool people raise their hands. They're they're actually waiting their
4: cards now.
8: So cover cover the numbers, be careful. Um, Yeah, so the the current accounts have the same features, but on top of that, you have direct debits and you can have your salary paid in, which is super cool. Um, And we are shipping, I think, like 15,000 more every day. So yeah, things are going great, and, and now we have all the pieces for next year to be, I think, really, really cool.
0: Let's get up from Hugo from Monzo, everybody. <laughs> Thank you, Hugo. <laughs> Panel, how do we feel about this? Revolut launch their current account. We have, uh, we have a number of people from uh, Starling and Atom launch their current accounts this year. It appears to be that the UK has gone through the year of the challenger launching a real current account and getting away from a debit card. Uh, thoughts, Chris, perhaps?
3: Well, I think what's amazing about the Monzo story is that uh, the number of headlines I'm seeing about how cool the company is as a brand and being a chat-up line and being the thing that hipsters want, as you would know, Simon. Um, that it's it's really all about being in the frame of being the coolest banking brand in Britain, which uh, I don't think um, the others achieve that yet because they're doing too much bank-like activities rather than actually reimagining banking with technology, which is what Monzo and very few other companies are, are actually doing.
4: So I was just going to say, I, I, I completely agree that that you know it's become a, a go-to brand. And every time, I, so I went around here as well, and every time I see somebody use a card that isn't a Monzo card in a coffee shop, I'm like... Yeah, you're in for an interview. You're an interloper. Um, But the question I do have is this transition between the the prepaid accounts and the current accounts. Uh, There's been some sort of questions about how it's going to work. Certainly some people in my office didn't actually know they were going to be pushed into a current account. They'd have to give up the prepaid account. And some of the features, so you know, the debit card top up on the current account... That's not going to last forever, but that turns out to be one of people's favorite features. So I, I would really like to know how they're going to handle that transition. And there's a man here who can probably answer these questions.
8: <laughs> so I, I think the thing um, of the upgrade is to give you enough reasons for you to have your salary paid on, on Monzo. Um, we might not be there yet. Like I don't know. Like we, we are taking it with with the, these more than hundred thousand people. Um, but that's kind of the, like the pattern you've been using on your on your prepaid doesn't necessarily is not necessarily what we want to. to to, to reiterate um, but yeah fair play it's, it's, it's something to see
4: yeah no I completely agree with you I, I would just love to, to, to see you handle it well and correctly and it sounds like you're going totally down the right route all that transparency stuff is the right way to do it
2: I think the other interesting thing as well is people I think look at the challenger bank market now the Monzos the Starlings the Revolut and say well actually they're just prettier you know current accounts they're pretty much like big banks but just a better interface a nicer approach I think what people don't get is that very much the offering now is MVP. I mean, it's an early feature parity to the big banks. But underneath this, they built their own intelligent services, real-time platform. So the ability to add all kinds of interesting services on there, the ability to integrate into all kinds of interesting services, is I think where it gets really interesting. Because no longer is this a traditional core banking, we create the product, we have the distribution to it, digital is a channel. They've just created this platform that now they just happen to have got to level one, which is as good as any of the banks. So the fact that you've got banks with hundreds, if not thousands of internal systems that are linked together and providing the same old sort of products with some with some veneer on that's interesting. Uh, now against a challenger that's got to parity, but could arguably, well, any of the challengers could put their foot down and really start to do some interesting thing. I think is where the story is because I think people look at the look at what's happening now and go, well, yeah, it's we're not is we're just it- getting started. Later.
6: Well, I'm I'm still a little caught up on the whole. This is now a chat up line. I evidently need to come back to London, but uh, the the would, the
1: would that work? Would that like? <laughs>
6: Mine is still a Mondo, I'll have you know. Hey,
1: Leonard do you want to see my Monzo
6: card? Sit down, kids. Um, I think one of, one of the things that is really, really interesting is that Monzo used to be the, the hipster's badge and Revolut used to be the student traveler's badge. And, and there was a little bit of a cross-pollination where people would say, it's just like Revolut, but like for pounds. Um, but actually, one thing that is transformational is that we are beginning to breed a generation of multi-banked, Adults. And that has not happened before. Most people who are not necessarily actively managing their money would join whatever bank was their dad's bank and stick with it. And because all of us who played around, and most of us actually have accounts with more than two of those um, entities mentioned, some of us with all of them, but as it's spreading outside of this room, because we're not representative we are actually creating a discipline of multi-banked adults, and that is the biggest win for the economy. Well,
0: so that's the point, isn't it? Revolut broke a million customers, Monzo 600,000, Atom, and uh, and then of course, Old North, and, and then there's many others, um, Starling, all starting to grow their customer bases. So it, it's interesting and, and hopeful from my perspective that we see this crossover from that MVP that was just, it's for your spending, it's for FX, to actually it can do a lot more, and this is when fintech starts to grow. Up. david i can feel you want to say something
1: I, like i was just looking where richard was really like i want to see if he's took the unicorn thing off that would uh, be why uh,
0: <laughs> jason which which celebrity do you think monzo needs to endorse <laughs> and have on board wow it's- so there's a whole game there about which celebrity is which challenger bank we should do that next for after dark chris you just invented something i think i gotta move us to august um so in august we welcome the rise of token sales ICO funding topped $1.6 billion, even as the SEC deemed tokens and ICOs to be securities and regulated accordingly. Likewise, Bitcoin forked and took Bitcoin cash. But our main story for the month that got a lot of people talking was the tandem takeover
1: of Harrods Bank. Panel, what do we think of this one? This was amazing, wasn't it? This, like Just when you thought they were out, right? They, they kind of like pull it completely out of the fire, oh, and they're back... <laughs> And they own a bank. They don't have to get a banking license. They bought a banking li- like It was just an amazing series of events. And if anybody could make that happen, then Ricky Knox was the guy who could make that happen,
6: right? It was old school banking behavior, though, right? Oh, this thing didn't work out. Oh, well, I'm going to just buy that. Yeah, but it works sometimes, So, So right? the interesting thing is,
4: like... Um, I am fully behind the idea of it being an amazing story. It saved our, you know, our bacon when we were looking for a headline and it is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> People are actually genuinely that's my life. Um but the uh, but the, the fantastic thing is that they did it with, you know, with with such gravitas, they were like, Yeah, we just done it. We bought and we don't bought any bank, we've bought Harrods Bank. Yeah. Um Which is which is fine, and that's one thing, and that's that's a really interesting story. But the next thing is that they got this banking licence and then the next thing they did was launch a credit card. Oh okay, but you didn't need a bank to launch a credit card, so I'd be really interested in seeing how that product development uh, what product journey came about Jason was, knows apparently. yeah no
2: no I mean there was also some interesting optics of uh, so we bought a bank but they're going to give us lots of money and it's like whoa hold. Do, like does it work like that when you buy something does the thing you buy then like the person you buy it from give you a ton of cash yeah. there was something it,
0: that's how it works yeah. it?
1: is there, is there any, anybody in the room from the FCA who can confirm or can deny anybody
0: better? explain how that works that's just magic I buy a thing and that thing gives me money
6: Well why else Would you buy the thing
0: Well yeah That's a good reason To buy a thing Good reason to buy a thing. So in September, following hot on the heels of the previous month's ICO rampage, a lot of celebrities began to endorse ICOs, notably Paris Hilton and Jamie Foxx. So for any of you with the last after dark, you may remember this. The People's Bank of China declared ICOs illegal. um, And JP Morgan's uh, Jamie Diamond slammed Bitcoin as a fraud. We also had the Equifax hack. (laughs) Does everybody remember the Equifax hack and the crazy amount of activity that came with that? I think, David, you got the letter as well. About I got it. the letter, yeah. You got it. the letter. But the biggest story in fintech land was Starling <laughs> launching their marketplace. Panel, what do we think? Well, I... I think I'm blown away by how much Starling is uh, is getting
2: done. We were talking earlier. We've got uh, Ben Chisel here from uh, the Starling the Starling uh, product team, and the amount that they've done in the period of time. You know, they didn't do the go to market, do a prepaid card or some aggregator play. They just went straight for the goal line. You know, they would get that banking license, get a current account out, do integrations, marketplace banking in Ireland, business banking, faster payments as a service, like what's not, what aren't they doing? So here... Europe. And Europe as well, European uh, payment systems. So, Ben, like, tell us the secret. How do you accomplish or, or put so much on the roadmap?
11: Well, I think, um, you know, the, we kind of use AI, open banking, uh, you know, all of these kind of thing, things behind here. Um, I crypto mean, kitties? Of, crypto kitties, right? Okay. Uh, crypto kitties, uh, Q1. Um, I think... Um, I mean, we, the, the way that we do a lot of stuff is uh, we have an awesome engineering team. I think my, my favorite quote is we use boring, predictable technologies, and that kind of means that people can start kind of... You know, they join and we, they can start delivering from from day one. So like, that's actually one of the reasons why we can deliver so much stuff. I think in terms of the the marketplace, actually, the thing you mentioned about MVPs is is really important. So we the thing we actually launched in September is our real, real MVP, which is a single integration with one partner using the APIs that we launched in April this year. Um, So, you know, customers can enhance their styling app by uh, integrating with a partner called Flux, uh, which allows you to... I think the the guys from Flux are here, actually, aren't they? There we go. There we are. We uh, also kind of had an integration with, uh, with the tail guys who I noticed, um, and uh, I was told that Philip's the only other guy who wears a roll neck all, uh, all winter like I am today. Uh, Megan's ill today, but that was the, the one bit of uh, advice that she, uh, she gave me, so I need to give a shout out to Philip and his, uh, his roll neck today. I can see Harvey at the back, but uh, no Philip at the moment. But... Um, yeah, so it's really an MVP for us. Uh, and, uh, you know, from we got our permissions to launch other financial products in our marketplace uh, this month. Uh, sorry, at the end of last month. And, you know, from January onwards is when you're going to see a lot more integrations with uh, financial products, pensions, savings and investments, insurance, etc. So.
2: Wow, so that's like real, that's big, big universal banking stuff, bringing that marketplace together. Well done, Ben. I
0: think that's an incredible amount of stuff that you guys have done. <laughs> It's nice to see marketplace banking becoming a real thing. Um, Ladies and gentlemen in the audience, hands up if you've used a marketplace app before. Okay, so it's about 20%. 20% of people have used an app inside banking that wasn't necessarily from their bank, was from a partner. Pretty interesting. Uh, Any thoughts on this one from the panel before we move on? Well, when, they, uh, when you launched the marketplace, what interested me was they,
2: they brought out a categorization of some of the integrations. And one of them was, uh, transfer-wise, a really early one, which was embedded into the app. So it's actually, you could send money, but it wasn't a marketplace. It was a, a feature set built in. And then the, sec- the, the next step out was the marketplace with Flux, where suddenly it's, you could select one of those uh, apps to use, and away you went. And then there was a third level, which is Moneybox. So it's not actually in the Starling app, but from Moneybox, you can integrate back in. And I'm interested to see, I guess, how all of the other players approach integration in that way, because you do have features you'd want to use every day in order to do it. There are some that you'd want to select. And then other things through open banking APIs and PSD2 that you want to connect in in different ways.
4: So I was just going to say, I think it's the variety of services they're offering that really impresses me. So they're very different sorts of services as well. So you're talking about TransferWise, they're great, they're brilliant, they provide a wonderful service, but everybody has TransferWise. What Starling are doing is going out there and doing some slightly different things, and that's really interesting, and that provides a differentiator, which arguably you really need in this crowded market leader disagree with me
6: <laughs> no no i don't i was actually going to take it a, a step further and saying as a, as a consumer it makes your life easier it's fun you're actually interacting with your banking services in a way that you you would never have done before it's actually enjoyable it's not a pain um the flip side is, and, and I'm, I'm going to pick on Alexa as, as, because she's there, and she was also talking about the open marketplace. Is that for for the incumbents? It's radically changing the conversation because it takes from it takes it from PSD2, GDPR, uh, to oh man, um, and and that to me is the most radical transformation because whether you like it or not, um, as a provider of those services. This is what you need to compete with now. Whether your consumers are co-op or not, and whether your consumers have heard of it or not, it doesn't matter. It's out there, someone will notice. Therefore, the, the goalposts have now shifted for everyone.
3: That's what I'm spending most of my time talking to banks about, which is that um, you know, as a consumer I can get a 1,000 APIs and apps that can give me the best financial life ever, but I don't have the time or interest to do a 1,000 integrations on my iPad or devices. My bank needs to do that for me but the banks are still predominantly unlike BBVA but the other incumbents are control freaks and they really have to open up and become co- collaborators and they don't know
0: how to do it. It's, it's a cultural change. And I think there's, there's also a knowledge gap and there's a lot of complications with existing systems and sometimes doing this stuff is hard. So credit to Starling and BBVA and everybody who's taking this challenge head on. And I know a lot of people and a lot of incumbents are trying to do this and trying to do it well. But I got to move us to October. Uh, October saw South Korea banning token sales. David Cameron took a job with a US payments firm. I think it was First data um, and Revolut's founder had some slightly divisive comments about their get shit done culture. Sharon Adair is, is in the audience and had a lot to say about that. Um, but the biggest story was an under the radar success as a bank called Oak North, which I think John Snow would have been banking with if anybody.
1: Um, You're getting real
0: mileage out of that
1: joke. Yeah, no, like.
0: I, I'm going to keep making that joke until everybody has stopped laughing. Um, oak North um, hit unicorn status so um tell us uh, to tell us a little bit more about this one we have Valentina Christensen the head of marketing and PR at oak North Valentina
10: Um, Yes, this is really exciting. Uh, So we secured an investment of 154 million pounds from uh, three uh, investors, um, Coltrane, uh, Claremont Group and Tosca Fund. And essentially, uh, we're going to use the capital to lend a lot more to SMEs next year. So our loan book today is about 900 million. Uh, We want to lend another 1.5 billion pounds next year. And we're also going to use a portion of the funding to uh, launch our, well, the FinTech platform that Oak North is built on, which is called Acorn Machine. We're basically going to launch that globally and enable banks and lenders and other geographies to basically replicate uh, Oak North success in the UK and do bespoke SME lending uh, in, in their geographies. So really, really exciting and obviously we're very humbled to have such amazing investors on board and it just means that, uh, yeah, we can continue going onwards and upwards. Um, Rishi Kozler and Joel Perman, our founders said that the next stop is to become a Decahorn so a $10 billion company. So uh, no rest for the wicked.
3: Uh,
0: Fintech got funding. <laughs> uh, And I think there's been a lot happening. Uh, The small business banking sector has been a really big deal, and Oak North have been a part of that, but as have many more. Um, But speaking of the SME banking, it's been a big theme. And to talk about SME banking, well, we have Richard Davies. Um, Richard, can you tell us why SME banking is becoming a theme?
12: Thanks, Simon. And listen, just wanted to say congratulations to the Oak North team. I was there at the start of the journey four years ago, and it's amazing to see the success uh, over that period. So why is small and medium-sized business such a theme at the moment? Um, So I bumped into Gary Turner from Xero, I'm not sure he's still around, but he kind of gave me a stat um, before we went onto this. And he was saying how there's 5.5 million businesses in the UK, only 7,500 of those employ more than 250 people. So think about that, pretty much every business in the UK is an SME. SMEs are the UK economy. And you kind of think about the, the recent budget and there's a, a productivity crisis. And there's a real need to help business owners to manage and grow their businesses better. And so there seems to be a real hive of activity now in the market, which is amazing. Fintechs, banks, everyone's thinking about how do you bring that predictive, personalized, tailored digital solution to really help those small businesses. I think we're kind of right at the start of that journey. Um, I think it's going to be a a really great journey over the next few years. Then you kind of underpin that with this pretty explosive cocktail of legislation and and regulation that's um, currently kind of in the mix for SME. You've got open banking going live in January. You've got the commercial credit data sharing standards. You've got making tax digital coming in. And then this kind of minor thing of uh, RBS having to pay 830 million quid to challengers to build their next generation (laughs) offering, so 830 million, no no money at all. So um, there's this, this huge wave of kind of regulatory, legislative ideas, kind of need to solve business owners' challenges. Um, and I guess the, the conclusion from mine and Gary's conversation earlier was we really are kind of hopefully the dawn of an exciting new era for SMEs and kind of we can really uh, look forward to that.
3: It does make you realise when you're talking about banks spending this amount of money that a unicorn is worth to build their new systems that there's something strange.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the retail banking sector has been the focus for quite some time and actually I think the SME space is more uh, underserved than the retail center has ever been so you know i think with with, with sort of seeing uh, like say the fun that rbs are having to sort of set aside with that with everybody coming in from tide with people like coconut with uh you know banks over in berlin like penta actually like the amount of stuff that's happening in the sme space is amazing so i think we're going to see more and more disruption in that space coming through
0: Absolutely. The SME banking is getting hot, people. Small businesses are going to have much better experiences in the near future. There's a lot coming in that direction. Um, in November, uh, we saw Monzo apparently, and according to Mashable, become a chat blind line in London's bars. Uh, Revolut applied for a European banking license ahead of Brexit. The Verge published a tech survey where Americans apparently trust their banks only slightly more than Amazon. And Alibaba's singles day payments set a record with 8.4 billion US dollars spent in a single hour. But the story we want to focus on was probably not the biggest that month. There's a company in the UK called Navura who issued a bond. That doesn't sound very exciting, but they issued the bond on behalf of a small company on the Ethereum blockchain. Now, let's break down why we think issuing a bond on an Ethereum blockchain is important. Um, So, the bond was cleared and settled and registered on the public Ethereum blockchain. It It took only one week for this small company to issue and for the whole life cycle of that bond to be managed from beginning to end, which is very different. Small businesses would actually typically go to a bank and say, I want to raise some debt as a bond. And because said, told, no, you're not raising enough money, go away. Um, so to have something that's lower cost was, was a really good thing. And it was part of a larger experiment in the FCA sandbox to see if removing financial middlemen can make investment vehicles more accessible. So joining us to tell us a little bit more about this is Vic from Navura. Vic, can you tell us a little bit more?
13: Yes, sir, I can. I noticed you didn't pronounce my surname. I...
4: I... It's all right. He's learned from experience that it doesn't always go correctly.
13: So yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, we are one of those fintech, or let's say, technology companies in banking. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're very much um, kind of under the covers. We don't really do much PR. Um, our our business is automating how financial instruments are structured, issued, and managed in the capital markets. So we're very sort of legal, regulatory, and FinTech focused. Um, So what that means is, for example, for a small to medium-sized business, as Simon correctly said, they go to a bank, they say they want to raise some money, it's quite expensive, it's quite inflexible. Um, If they go to the capital markets, if they go to an investment bank, um, it would be too expensive for them to issue financial instruments that could be cost-effective for them. We came along and we said, okay, we can provide a vertically integrated solution to allow banks to service those SMEs or allow investment banks to service those SMEs a lot cheaper and a lot more cost-effectively. Yes, in November, we issued the first um, uh, legally compliant uh, cryptocurrency-denominated bond in the UK and globally. So what this means is that the legal documents can be taken to the courts and can be upheld, uh, and it reflects that the instrument was a cryptocurrency bond.
0: Thank you, Vic. I think very impressive what I like about this Chris just to show that Navura is run by a bunch of cool cats it is run by some cool cats and not some crypto kitties without question uh I think it's fair to say, though, that uh, the UK was seen for a long time as the home of financial policy innovation. And to do something on a public blockchain that is regulated, when there's been all of these questions about regulated activity on a public blockchain before, is really significant. And I think we lost that story. When there's so much hype in the subject, and let's face it, I I know about the hype. I I live and breathe the subject. There's there's too much hype. There is. It's really nice to see something real happening that makes a difference for businesses. So congratulations. Price of a
3: Ether today, Simon, by the way.
0: Yeah, has anybody seen the crypto prices? You're trying to move me on to December, aren't you? Don't troll him. Don't troll me. Don't troll me, bro. Uh, who needs a CSD? Uh, right, in December, we've made it to December, ladies and gentlemen. Woo-hoo! Well done. The newspapers were saying high street banks are becoming an endangered species. As more banks closed, the FCA launched their third sandbox for both fintechs and traditional banks. They can be part of the club now, loving the sandbox. But the biggest story has to be the stratospheric rise in the price of Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Not only that, but Revolut launched a cryptocurrency exchange app. So the Bitcoin price plus Revolut's app uh, panel, what do we think of this? Because Bitcoin hit over $17,000. It's floating around there now, and Revolut customers can buy it. What do we think?
1: I I literally haven't been asked to join in with Bitcoin until Revolut did it. Because it made it really, 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 really easy for me to do. Like, signing up for some weird wallet that takes forever. Coinbase that has takes...
2: millions of users. It, I don't know <laughs> it just
1: seemed like another thing I didn't oh need.
2: You were waiting to be invited into Bitcoin? It's, I'm not sure that's it's, it's not like a membership thing. Like, I want
1: a red carpet down, like, invited in, concierge, you know?
4: My question is, should it be that easy? like should it be that easy to invest in anything not just cryptocurrency i'm not you know biased because simon would be very angry if i was um but no should it should it be that easy just to go onto your app and just be like okay i could move money to my savings account i could like pay david back for dinner last night or i could buy some bitcoins Mm, i have questions
6: A a few thoughts first of all on a personal level, I've struggled to explain to my family what I do for a living for a very, very long time. And my great aunt asked me about Bitcoin last week. So I think I think we're good, right? Um, but but this is also why I'm very, very weary right now when people use the word invest when it comes to Bitcoin. Because back in the day, yes. Um, and, and I wish I had more money back in the day because... <laughs> I ain't rich, people. I ain't rich. Um, However, the the thing, first of all, it it brings the language into the mainstream. And that's great. Because as you start answering your great aunt what this thing is, you actually start dropping a few other truth bombs, which are very, very useful. Um, However, it's extremely dangerous when people talk about investing in Bitcoin right now. People who didn't know what it was three weeks ago and now consider it part of their retirement plan. Um, there's a lot of them, and a lot of them are bankers. And the fact that they still say all of that without actually realizing the tensions they are themselves creating is, is a realization that financial literacy needs to come like home to roost. Um, and, and to me, that's the biggest danger. It's not the price fluctuating, it's not the fact that it's becoming mainstream, it's the fact that the people genuinely think this is an investment, it's gonna be great. They just discovered it, it's new. So how hard or easy it is doesn't, doesn't matter anymore, although quite a few countries still can't be onboarded.
0: I, I think that you said the key words, financial literacy. It's scary to me that the SEC came out um, today as we're recording this uh, on, on a Thursday evening. Uh, that On a Tuesday evening, God, I'm used to Thursdays. Wow, I'm losing track of days. I, as we record this, the SEC came out and said, people are taking out mortgages to buy bitcoin and that really scares me it's really scary um there's uh, somebody who works in our company who uh was asked by one of their friends where do i buy one and the and and, and the and the response was one what and the p- response to that was whatever they're called uh, <laughs> and that that really worries me chris do we need some financial literacy and and what are we seeing are we seeing a mainstream moment do you think well i i think i think there's
3: the, the upside and the downside. The upside is that finally cryptocurrencies are maturing into a mainstream focus. The downside is that most people who are, who are investing in them have no idea what they're buying. Um, I mean, you and I were talking about it earlier, Simon. The fact is that you can buy a bit of a Bitcoin, but a lot of people don't realize that they don't have to spend $17,000 to buy a, a Bitcoin. They can buy $17 worth. So they then buy a Litecoin because it's cheaper. <laughs> and it's just herd mentality... And the fear of missing out. And I think the the sad news is, is that people will get burnt on this. Um, and it'll be the ignorant person who's coming in at the peak of the market before it bursts. And it is going to burst.
0: Uh, almost certainly. But um, to talk about uh, a little bit of this, um, I want the audience to give me some feelings about who's bought Bitcoin and in what year. So I'm going to shout out a year and then I want a show of hands. So if you bought Bitcoin in 2013, I want a show of hands. Anybody bought it in 2013? Four, five, six. 2011 from one person at the back of the room. That's impressive. Well okay. done.
1: Drinks on you later, right?
0: A cumulative agreement. 2013 and 2014. Show of hands. A little bit more, but still not everybody. 2013, 2014, and 2015. Show of hands. Okay, a little bit more. 2013, 2014, 2015, and 2016. It's, it's it's about still only, still only 10% of the room, yeah. 2013, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Still not a lot of the room. Okay, how many bought a Bitcoin in the last week? <laughs> a whole one you and how wish they
3: bought a bitcoin in
0: 2013 yeah uh, yeah absolutely so to speak a little bit about the new Revolut functionality we have uh, Chad West who is the head of global brand and
7: communications from revolute Chad thank you for joining us sir thank you um, I think we had one question tonight which was should buying cryptocurrency be that easy and the simple answer to that is yes um, cryptocurrency should not be reserved for the tech savvy, the crypto enthusiasts. It should be available to everyone at the touch of a button. And that is exactly what we've done. So with Revolut, it's, something, it's not something we pulled out of the hat and thought, this is trending right now, let's do it. It's something we've been wanting to do for a couple of years now. Um, it's been incredibly difficult to do. Um, but ultimately, we managed to get it over the line. Um, so with Revolut, literally now, once you have an account, you can buy uh, either Bitcoin, Litecoin, or Ethereum, in 20 seconds, directly into your Revolut account. You can then securely hold that crypto in your Revolut account until you decide otherwise. Uh, You can then transfer that internally to other other Revolut users instantly and for free. And of course, you can sell it back into fiat currency, i.e. real currency, at the touch of a button uh, whenever you choose to do so. So our view is we didn't implement this product to uh, you know, appease the the crypto enthusiasts and the ultra tech savvy we did this purposely to give your everyday Joe exposure to cryptocurrency something that they would not have done previously because the idea of going to an exchange uh, going to uh, you know, private keys and cold storage was just uh, completely off to them so um, for us, we're quite proud to have done it I hope many people here uh, have done that and uh, yeah, I'm being rushed to get off so thank you (laughs) just one quick addition
3: is um i lost a lot of bitcoin on mount gox so don't store them on exchanges (laughs) lesson
0: from the weary so uh that wraps up all of 2017 it's been an amazing year david give me your summary
1: on 2017 please Bloody hell, I wasn't expecting that one. Like, um, I, like uh, all the stuff you just heard, maybe? Like, I, I, I think the, um, the most exciting thing probably is kind of just looking around the room. Like, genuinely super excited that we do this podcast in London. I still feel like this is the heart of everything that's happening from a fintech and a banking perspective. It kind of feels like... And I, and I like, get like a bigger round of applause for that one, surely. Come on. And and the beautiful thing about it is that actually you kind of look around, and I don't just mean like looking at like the, you know, the Monzos and the Oak Norths and the Starlings and the Revolutes and the BBVAs and the soon to be TSB Richard right you're about to the, so um, like all of the guys who are kind of like here and doing like super interesting things but you look around everybody in the room and the, just the community around fintech in London is vibrant like you wouldn't believe so I'm just super proud to be part of in this in terms of everything that's happened in 2017 and I kind of feel like the, the expectation for everything that's going to be happening next year with with everybody in the space is just super super high so um, you know I think the, the expectation Expectation is set with you guys the the gauntlet is kind of thrown down to everybody in the room of what's going to happen next year uh, and i imagine that it's just going to be better bigger and better things so to everybody in the room like i look forward to doing this next year and seeing what happens and what everybody has achieved
0: so to our fantastic guests uh, thank you for being with us on fintech insider later where can people find out more about you please
6: lead Glyptus on twitter or linkedin
0: uh, sarah where can people find out more about you
4: mostly on one of your podcasts. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Sarah Koshansky.
0: Thank you, Sarah, for being the unofficial voice of Fintech Insider. You make our show so much better. Um, Thanks to everybody who's contributed from insurance to blockchain and fintech. But most of all, we need to thank the Eleven Media team that made this event possible, that fixed the microphones, that made everything happen for us. So, Matt, thank you for planning the event. To the one and only Ollie for stage managing and producing tonight's show. Ollie. <laughs> for Martin, our resident roadie in sound engineering. How are you doing, sir? <laughs> if the people in the room can see the artwork behind us, that's all down to Simone. Simone, thank you. To Amy for turning the artwork into t-shirts, for curating the emoji wall, and for creating the photo booth. Amy, thank you. <laughs> to Terence on the camera work, to our very own word nerd Laura for scripting and planning the show tonight, to Dan and Alex and the team of interns we have who help us out on social media, and finally, for the man without whom none of this would be possible, our amazing sound engineer who's been with us for more than a year, Mr. Michael Bailey. Seriously, he is the reason the show goes out every week. We we don't exist without Michael. Um, So, thank you to our sponsors. We work for their help putting on this event and letting us use this space. Thank you to this audience. Give yourselves a cheer! A reminder that you can find out more about us at 11FS.com or check out Fintech Insider on Twitter and Facebook. Look out for pictures from tonight. Lastly, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. If you can turn up in the room, you can give us a five-star review. (laughs) Um, And thank you very much for tonight.